Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. We're in a four-week series called Comfortable with Closeness, and uh, we're journeying through the book of Genesis to try to rebuild that close connection that we were intended to have with God. Remember in week one, we looked at the OG design. We went back to our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, and we, we saw what closeness with God was intended to look like. And we also saw the tragic consequences of what theologians call the fall. When, when our first ancestors chose to do things their way, they elevated their will over God's will in, a, in an act of rebellion, how that broke our close connection with God. Then last week, Pastor Keith Smith taught us from, about Abraham and how we can update our closeness with God no matter where we are, no matter what, what time, space, place we may find ourselves in by building an altar in that place. And, you know, if you're looking to reestablish a relationship with God, you might want to go back to last week's message and, and just listen to the words of Pastor Keith through uh, as he reflects Abraham's journey, and you can find yourself in it. This week, we're going to talk about Jacob. Now, God revealed himself to Abraham, then to Isaac, and then to Jacob. Now, here's what you need to know about Jacob. Jacob's not a really nice guy. Uh, and maybe, maybe I shouldn't have led with that one because I wanted to say, really, Jacob's a lot like you and I are. And I think you're probably a nice, nice guy, a nice, a nice woman, I'm sure. But, but Jacob was a man who was deeply broken and deeply needy. And the truth is, that includes all of us. Even the strongest among us listening right now, every one of you is needy. Every one of you has some brokenness in you. And just like Jacob, his brokenness and neediness caused him to take some shortcuts to try to fill his neediness with a ton of collateral damage, not only hurting others, but hurting himself and further harming his relationship with God. And we do the same thing. His story kind of starts in Genesis 27. In Genesis 27, we see this long narrative. He's born, his bro older brother Esau, he comes out of the womb holding on to Esau's heel. He's, he's wrestling with people from, the very, from his very first breath he is. And Jacob uh, betrays his brother. He deceives his father, all in an effort to get the family blessing. A blessing uh, denotes closeness. And he was ready to do whatever it took, anything it took, uh, no matter what it took, even under false pretenses, to get his father's blessing, to hear his father say, Jacob, I love you. I, 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 I think you're wonderful. I, I want you in my life. Uh, you mean more to me than anything. And Jacob wants that blessing, needs that blessing. And he's willing to do whatever it takes, even steal it if he needs to, in order to get it. And the fact is, every one of us needs that blessing. Every one of us needs someone outside of ourselves to come along and say, you know what? You're great. You're wonderful. Uh, you know, I'm so glad that I'm a part of your life. Every one of us needs that. He needs it. But of course, Jacob wasn't willing to get it in a healthy way. Jacob was going to take it by any means necessary. 
You're going to see a trend in Jacob's life. Trust is a difficult thing for him, especially trust in God. But what happens is he severs his relationship with his family. Esau, his older brother, after he stole his blessing, decides he, he wants to kill him. So Jacob needs to run away. He needs to get out of there. He needs to leave the land of his fathers. But the big question for him as he heads out is, will God go with him? Because in that ancient culture, gods were attached to a physical location or a tribe. So if Jacob was to leave his family origin and, and to go into another land, uh, in that culture, he would be leaving that God behind, and wherever he went, he'd take on the gods of that location that might be there. So the question of, will, will God go with him, would have been ruminating in his heart and mind. And here's how we pick up the story. It starts this way. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for, a, for the night because the sun had set. So Jacob's leaving. Esau wants to kill him. And he, these names are important because they talk about boundary lines. It helps you to understand where Jacob is. Jacob's in a place that's unfamiliar. Beersheba mar marked the outer limits of his family historical area. So his family region. Beersheba was on the outside of it. And Haran was even further. And he's somewhere between Beersheba and Haran. Uh, maybe you feel a little bit like Jacob. We're in uncharted territory. Maybe a little bit outside of what we've known. You know, uh, we've been at this for quite a while, and even in this most current lockdown, we're all in a space that is foreign to us. And it feels nothing like what we've known before. Jacob is precisely in that space here. And he is wondering in this new space, will God be there? <laughs> will he be there? Will he go with me? And here's where we pick up the story. And this is a story of grace because you need to understand something about the person of Jacob. He has done nothing to earn the presence of God to date. He's done nothing particular to earn God's favor or presence. This is a story of grace. So he lands in this place. He's going to camp out for the night. And it says this in the text. It says, taking one stone, he found a stone that was there. He put it under his head and he laid down to sleep. And he had a dream. And this wasn't just a bad pizza dream. This was a God-inspired dream. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth from its top reaching to the heavens. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. He has this dream of how God's angels were doing God's bidding here on earth. There's a physical world, but there's a supernatural world. And it's constantly active. And God is constantly at work. And it goes on to say, there above the staircase stood the Lord. And the Lord talked to Jacob in this dream. And the Lord said this, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I'd love you to see these next lines with me. I am with you. Can you say that out loud with me? I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I'm with you and will watch over you wherever you go. Now, what's interesting is this is the first time in scripture ever that God says, I am with you. Those are powerful words. Of course, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know, centuries later, Jesus would say, I'm Emmanuel, God with you. I got you. I'm with you. But God says to Jacob, someone who doesn't deserve it, someone who didn't earn it, someone that's behavior didn't particularly aligned with God's. He says, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I'll watch over you wherever you go. 
And in response, Jacob takes the stone of which he was sleeping on and he builds an altar, just like Pastor Keith talked about last week, a place of remembrance. And then he calls this place, this unknown place between Beersheba and Haran that he finds himself, he calls the place Bethel, Bethel. And it's an interesting word in Hebrew. Uh, if you take the bell off, uh, the Beth off, and it's just L, E-L, that's short for Elohim, which is the Hebrew word for God. And Beth means house. So literally, he's calling this place in the middle of the woods, in the middle of nowhere, the house of God. You see, we can all have a Bethel moment wherever we are. Sometimes we'll call a building the house of God or a sanctuary, and we misunderstand how God sees how he inhabits spaces and places. Because because of what Jesus has done, now that holy sanctuary is inside of us. So we have Bethel moments wherever we go. Here's the beautiful truth. Wherever you go and wherever your life has gone. See, sometimes it's where you go and maybe you're in a new place, a new location, a new home, a a new space or something. But more often in life, it's wherever your life has gone. Sometimes we hit moments where we're maybe headed into a new university or we're graduating, we're starting into a career path and God, will you go with me there? Or, or we're becoming a little older and our life is changing and we're making transitions and we begin to wonder, is God going to be as present there as he was here? Wherever you go and wherever your life has gone, even if it's in a really bad place, any place or any moment can be a Bethel moment, can be a house of God moment, a place that God occupies. Here's in the, in the Torah, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 7, this is a great truth that's reflected there when the writer says this, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us? I love that. What other nation has it so good that to have their God near them like the Lord our God is near us whenever, can you say that with me, whenever we pray to him. Whenever we pray to him, there's a direct connection between prayer and closeness. And it's throughout scripture. You see it everywhere you go. There's a direct connection. And this is why I think we often misunderstand prayer and why so many people get discouraged with it. So many people uh, find it disappointing is because they have a misapplication of prayer. Many of us treat prayer like a customer service line. You know, we call up God for an exchange. I'd like a refund on my life right now. <laughs> I'd like to exchange it in for a different situation right now. Uh, I, I, I want a fix. Give me a fix right now. You know, you know, we can do that. And we relegate prayer to a transactional thing, and we miss the whole purpose and primary focus of prayer. Prayer, the point of prayer, is not to get, but to connect. Prayer is primarily about connecting, not getting. And if you make it transactional in nature, it becomes very disappointing. Let me illustrate it. This is a a picture of my my dad. Uh, My dad, this is my nephew, Brandon. Uh, This was taken a couple of weeks ago in New Brunswick. So I haven't seen my dad in a long time now. But my dad is 89 now, 89. And we've known each other my whole life. Uh, A lot of things have changed for my dad particularly in the last number of years, and it hasn't been easy. And a lot of things have changed for both of us, in and around us. But you know what's remained the same? I remain his son, and he remains my dad. But our closeness is not determined by our DNA connection. 
We share DNA, so there is a connection between us. But closeness is not fostered through DNA or a relational connection that way. Closeness is fostered through communication and relationship development. Here's what I mean. If every time I talked to my dad, it was to get something, we would have a relationship, but it would be a transactional relationship. It would not be a loving relationship, right? You see, when it comes to asking, asking in prayer, asking of God, asking of someone is a type of communication. It is a type of communication, but there's a reason why the Bible constantly is trying to expand your vision of what communication through prayer means. It's because God knew we would primarily make it about asking or telling God, because sometimes we get in that kind of mindset or framework. And and much of scripture, when Jesus teaches on it, when the Apostle Paul teaches on prayer, it's expanding our vision of how we understand prayer. Like this simple, familiar verse that the Apostle Paul shares. He says, don't worry about anything. How are you doing at that right now? Don't worry about anything. How can I not worry about anything, Paul? Well, instead, replace your worry with something else. Instead of worrying about everything, pray about everything. Pray about everything. It's a language of more than just asking for something. It's sharing something. It's like uh, I've been married a lot of years now. <laughs> I, I, I should do the math before I ever get in these moments. But communication is sometimes just sharing the mundane things of everyday life. It's sharing your life one with the other. And we do that with God. So prayer is not always just about asking. Prayer is about talking sharing your life with the one you love, the one who loves you. Then he goes on to say this, tell God what you need. In other words, don't, don't not ask. Asking is important. It's, requesting is important. You're not talking to someone that's anemic or as we talked about in week one, some sort of bystander watching your life come unraveled. No, he's intimately involved and loves and knows you. So, so ask, but then it says this, and thank him for all he's done. Notice all the different levels and styles of communication and prayer. There's conversational pieces there. You pray about everything. There's requests that are there. And there's gratitude that's there. These things round out a, a developed close relationship with someone and certainly with God. So here's the interesting thing with Jacob. When we learn early in his story, I'm sharing two stories. They both happen at night. And night is often a difficult time for many people. The first one is this dream that happens and God says to Jacob, I'm with you. And what a great reminder for all of us. Even if you're in a place like he was, somewhere stuck between Beersheba and Haran, you don't even know where you are. This feels very unfamiliar, this place. God is with you and he will go with you wherever you are, watching over you, he promised Jacob. And he promises the same thing for everyone who follows Jesus. And it's an invitation, though, here. And I think a lot of people miss, have a lot of insecurity about their relationship with God. I, I don't know how many people I've talked to, and they wonder, is God here? Is God near? Does God hear? And I think a lot of our insecurity around our relationship with God is a misapplication of this powerful relationship-building tool, this closeness tool called prayer. If it's just a transactional tool... Prayer is disappointing because sometimes in your petition, you don't get, and there's many reasons why you may not get what you think you, should, you deserve or you need or you want. 
God is interested in building an intimate relationship with you from this life right into the next. So back to our story. The first truth, though, remember, God is with you. Back to our story. So Jacob, Jacob leaves and he goes to Haran and he marries. He becomes quite rich. He's, he's done really well for himself. And then one day he wakes up and he says, I want to go home. But there's a problem. Remember there's a problem at home? That mess he made with his brother Esau and his family and everything that he just left, well, it's still there. And it's been brewing for years. Esau still wants to kill him. And so Jacob sends, he's always a trickster. He's always trying to work the angles, trying to be strategic in a way that benefits himself. Well, you know, people get like that. And so he sends uh, messengers ahead to tell Jacob he's coming with gifts. Really good idea. Grease the palm a little bit. And the messengers come back and say, listen, Esau's coming towards you, Jacob, with 400 men. And anxiety just descends on Jacob in this moment. Fear as he anticipates meeting Esau, recognizing that Esau probably is bringing 400 men for a reason. Maybe you can identify with how Jacob feels. It's like when you're sitting on the edge of having to have a hard conversation with someone and you just don't want to. Or you're facing a tough day tomorrow. Or you're facing a tough moment with someone. Maybe you're a lot like Jacob. You're sitting on the edge of uncertainty in this moment. Or you're crouched in this moment of anxiety. Or you're pausing on the moment, on the precipice of a day of reckoning. And you know it's coming. And in those moments, you feel a lot like Jacob does. You feel all alone in those moments. Jacob, it's just the walls are closing in on him. He feels all alone. He feels his eminent death is coming. Everything he's worked for is going to come unraveled. And so he sends everyone away, and he decides he's going to be by himself for a few minutes. And again, night begins to set, and here's what happens. But Jacob stayed behind by himself, and a man wrestled. Now, this man will later be discovered in the text. I won't read it to you, but if you kept reading in this text, this man is God, <laughs> wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he couldn't get the best of Jacob as they wrestled, he deliberately threw Jacob's hip out of joint. This is one of the most perplexing passages in Genesis. You can read the Hebrew scholars around this, the Jewish scholars or, or Christian scholars reflecting on it, and everybody's struggling, but everyone will recognize this is the first wrestling match in the Bible. This is the first wrestling match that we have recorded here. Uh, on this, you know, wrestling's a fascinating sport. I mean, there's the Olympic wrestling sport, and then there's the theatrical wrestling one, you know, Jake the Snake, that was my era, and The Undertaker, and all of those wrestling, Hulk Hogan, all those guys were the big wrestlers of that era and age, and uh, we asked you on Instagram to come up with some wrestling names for yourself, and some of you were really creative. Someone jumped in and said they would go under the wrestling moniker, The Bearded Wonder, I wondered if that was Pastor Austin. I don't know. Somebody else said that they would call themselves Sticky Rice. Somebody said they'd be Soul Crusher. Hannah, who led us in worship, said she'd be the Handertaker. You know, Undertaker, Handertaker. That was pretty good. Goliath's cousin, somebody said. You know, jump into the chat room if you're not already in there and see if you can come up with a good wrestling name for Jacob. What would be his wrestling name if he had one? Because Jacob is in this wrestling match and he's wrestling with God. Now, you need to understand because we, both, we all wrestle with God and we all wrestle against God. There's a big difference between wrestling with God 
and wrestling against God. Massive difference. See, when you wrestle with God, it draws you closer to God. Wrestling is good. It actually draws you into closer proximity with God and closeness with God. When you wrestle against God, it moves you further away from him. You, you, you know what those things are, feel like. You know what they, they look like. One, one moves you closer, one moves you further away. When I wrestle against God, it's those moments in my life where I'm deliberately not doing what I know his kingdom would ask of me. Or, and, and I don't want to come, I don't want to come under his authority there. Many times the distance you feel from God, and all of us can find ourselves in there. I, I like how the psalmist puts it. David knew how deceitful his own heart would be, and that's why he invited God's spirit to search his heart and mind. Why? Because he could fool himself. We have a way of justifying all kinds of things of life. We have a way of justifying all kinds of behaviors. We're doing it for the higher good. We're doing it for the good of these people. We're doing it for God. And yet the means doesn't justify the ends in God's kingdom. And all of a sudden, wrestling with God becomes the priority. Wrestling against God, well, that's, that's yesterday's news. Here's, I don't know a lot about wrestling. I really don't. But I, I've had to engage it. I grew up with three brothers, so man, wrestling often started out as playful, ended as hurtful. That's usually how it went. I don't know if you have kids or have had kids that have been in that category, but man, we did all the time. Uh, you know, all of us were a year apart, so there was plenty of wrestling to be had. And then more recently during COVID, I, I wrestle with one of my sons. He's, he, he loves wrestling, boxing, Muay Thai, all this type of stuff, and there's no one around to try his new moves out on, except except me. So, so I don't know what this is called. This is a triangle or chokehold or something that I'm in right in this moment. But, but friends, pray for your pastor. He's a lot bigger than me. It hurts sometimes. You, you know, it's so much fun just connecting with your kids. And you guys would know that if you have children. And he's an adult. So anytime he wants to spend time with me, I'm down for it. Here's the interesting thing I've learned from wrestling with uh, Keenan. I've, I've learned this, that wrestling uh, requires closeness. There's a proximity thing that comes with wrestling. You can't keep your distance and wrestle. I mean, it's sweaty. It's, it's, it's close. It's, you're in close proximity. So when you wrestle with God, it actually is drawing you into closer proximity with him. And so some of us are wrestling through doubts right now. We're wrestling through all kinds of obedience issues, all kinds of things. It's worth the wrestle because the wrestle draws you closer to God. Here's the other thing. Wrestling requires sweat, effort, and pain, and there's no way around it. This is like any good relationship, though. Any good relationship. Do not buy the stuff you see in the romantic rom-com movies and everything else that somehow things just fall into place and it's magical all the time. But you know what they never show? They never show them trying to make the work relationship work long-term. It requires effort, sweat, and pain. Every great relationship that's meaningful and has depth does. Here's the thing. Wrestling has baked into it a cost and reward. There's a cost in this wrestling. It was for Jacob, and there's a cost for you and I. But there's a reward. Many of the great things that we experience in our relationship with God come on the backside of paying a cost. It's sacrificing something, a sacrifice of praise, a, a sacrifice of worship. All of these things are, are, are help build into our relationship with God. And there's a rawness and realness in wrestling. I, I think this is really important for us. 
If you've been around church, the, the difficulty long-term is you become very sanitized, very eloquent, very otherworldish in your approach to talking about God and praying. And, and it sounds like you're not even yourself anymore because you become something else to engage God. And you know what I love about the truth of the ancient writers of Scripture is they advocate for a realness and rawness in your relationship with God. Read Psalms. God can handle you being disappointed. God can handle you being angry at him. God can handle you having immense doubts. God can handle all of that. He'd rather realness. He'd rather realness over posturing and posing. He'd rather rawness over pretending. Don't pretend like everything okay is okay if it's not. Engage him in the real, raw conversation and dialogue. Jacob is wrestling with this man in the dirt. Yeah, his quick tongue is not going to get him out of this. His quick wit and strategy and scheming and manipulating is not going to get him out of this moment. He's in the mud and the blood. He's down there with God wrestling in this moment. He can't escape and thank God he can't. In verse 26, it says this. The man said, let me go. It's daybreak. And Jacob said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Until you bless me. And the man said, what's your name? And he answered, Jacob. This is what it said. The man said, but no longer. Your name is no longer Jacob. For now on, it's Israel, which means God wrestler. You've wrestled with God and you've come through. Now, oh, if, depending on the translation of your English Bible, if it's the older versions, the King James Version and others, it'll say, you've wrestled with God and you have overcome. And when I'd read this when I was young, I was always like asking the question, did Jacob just beat God in a wrestling match? What? <laughs> did he just beat the God of the universe in a wrestling match? And of course, the answer is no. No, impossible. God is way too powerful for Jacob. God is way too powerful and way too smart for you to manipulate him or to corner him. Well, the misunderstanding here is that this God, uh, this man that's wrestling with Jacob, and it's God in human flesh in this moment, is, is, is playing with Jacob. Not, not playing with him in some sort of demeaning way, but just like a dad would wrestle with their, their child. They're not there trying to pile drive them. <laughs> they're, they're letting their child win on occasion. He's holding him. He's holding him. And in the Hebrew, when it says touched his hip, it means lightly touched. Who's so powerful that all they need to do is put a finger on and the hip just goes dislocated? See, all this time, God's been holding back. He's holding on to Jacob for Jacob's sake. He's not holding on to Jacob to defend himself. He doesn't need to. Jacob pleads for a blessing here. And the man in the end does bless him. What's particularly interesting is Jacob is pleading and begging God for a blessing when in previous occasions, he just stole it. He just took it. But this moment, this man does bless him. It's important to note, just like it was with the presence of God, he doesn't earn this blessing. It's not earned through his strength and his stamina that he had more energy and ability and he had some slick wrestling moves. It wasn't earned by his tenacity or his struggle. And this is really important for all of you who are high-achieving, connect-to-God type people that you think it's your efforts <laughs> that will build in a more intimate and close relationship with God. You're actually kind of missing how you connect to God. 
Jacob receives the blessing with the admission of weakness. It's not from strength. We don't connect to God from our point of strength. We connect to God at our point of weakness. You see, to understand the story, you need to read one of the prophets. The prophet Hosea interprets this, what happens in the story. In the 12th chapter, he says this. He says, in the womb, that heal Jacob. And I love how uh, in the message version, uh, Eugene Gibson, uh, uh, Peterson talks about how uh, uh, Esau or sorry, Jacob held on to Esau's heel as he was coming out of the womb, and he calls Jacob a heel because that's how he's behaved ever since. In the womb, that heel Jacob got the best of his brother. Uh, He outmaneuvered his brother Esau. When he grew up, he tried to get the best of God, but this is what it said. But God would not be bested. God bested him. Brought to his knees, Jacob wept and prayed. Brought to his knees. What a gift to be humbled. What a gift to humble yourself. What a gift even when life humbles you. Even when you walk with a limp because you've battled. What a gift it is to be humbled because it's in that place of humility you meet the God, the living God of the universe. It goes on to say this, God found him at Bethel. Friends, in our arrogance, you think you found God, God found you. You think you chose God? God chose you. God found him in Bethel. That's where he spoke with him, the scripture, Hosea says. God is the God of the angel armies. God revealed, God known. What are you waiting for, Hosea asked. Return to your God. Commit yourself to love and justice. Wait for your God and don't give up on him ever, ever. Friends, Jacob's story is so apropos to where you and I are at. We're all needy. We're all broken. And if you can't get in touch with that and you can't see that, you're blinded by your own arrogance and pride. Every one of us is. The problem is, is we despise weakness. We despise neediness. We despise it in others and we despise it in ourselves. But we don't connect with God from a place of strength. We connect with God just like Jacob does through weeping and pleading. It's coming to a place where we realize our own helplessness, where we realize I cannot control life. I cannot control outcomes. Forgive me, God, because often we try to, just like Jacob, we try to control other people's decisions. We try to control events or moments. We try to control groups of people and other things in this life. And you know, it's really sinfulness. We, we don't trust God to take control. Here's the truth, and I hope you grab onto this. I hope if anything else from this message, you remember this. If you want God flexing in your life, then you've got to stop flexing and start relying. If you want God at work in your life, then you got to stop manipulating and trying to operate out of your position of strength and start relying on God's strength. Jacob's story is the story of the whole Bible, and it's the story of our lives. We, when we recognize our helplessness, when we recognize our neediness, when we recognize our inability to cry, control life and we cry out to God with humility... God meets us right there. We have a Bethel moment right there. He inhabits that space and place. That's where we experience his strength. It's in our weakness. His strength is revealed. I wonder how many, before we get to our Q&A, I wonder how many people 
You need to create a Bethel moment. You need a Bethel moment right now, a house of God moment right now, a moment where God is able to whisper to you, I'm with you. I won't leave you. I'll go wherever you're going. And or how many of you, you need to get into the dirt and wrestle with God. Uh, your reliance on God is, is uh, you do everything you can not to have to rely on him. Everything you can not to find yourself in a place of need. I wonder how many of you need to wrestle with God and allow him to wrestle with you. You know what's interesting in this story? Jacob didn't come looking for that wrestling match. God came looking for him. God's always the initiator. And you might be even feeling in your spirit right now, there's just something stirring. That's God initiating, initiating a connection with you. Lean into that. Let's pray. Father, we openly acknowledge, God, that we're like Jacob, clinging to the heels of other people, trying to get ahead, trying to get noticed, trying to get that blessing, God, trying to hear that we're, 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 we matter in this life, that, that we're good, that, that, that somehow uh, our lives are meaningful, and we so desperately want that we will manipulate, we will trick, we will steal, whatever we need to do. We take shortcuts all the time to try to get your blessing, and God, we ask you today, forgive us. God, I just pray for those that are listening right now, and they need a Bethel moment. They need a house of God moment. Would you come close to them by your spirit and remind them, I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go. May that be good news to so many people that might feel all alone. God is with you. God is going to go with you. God is wherever you may be in this life. And God, I pray too, Jesus, for those of us that, God, maybe we're presently in a wrestling match, or we should be. <laughs> we should be, but we're avoiding it. God, I pray, Jesus, that you wouldn't let go of us until we plead. You wouldn't let go of us until we cry out, not our will, but your will be done. Lord, just as, as so many times those metaphors and scriptures, the hound of heaven chasing after our souls, God, would you be that for us? Lord, would you chase after us looking to break into our reality and rescue us? God, we come under your authority. We want your way over our way. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.